All right. Well, hey, just a quick uh, one quick announcement coming up. Y'all have heard us talk about the last couple of weeks, our year end offering. It's going to be taking up starting on December 18th. And so one of the things that we said is we are highlighting this outward ministries that we're part of. And one of those primary pieces we're connecting with is Faith Bridge. It's the, the group that we work with uh, to do foster care here at Vintage. There are eight families that are uh, who are who are in this full time foster care piece. And so we uh, we recognize, my gosh, God, we, we love foster care in Paulding County. We love foster care in the context of the state of Georgia. And God, we we want to partner with a group that is really, really enabling people to do this well. And so Faith Bridge is doing that. And the fact that their, I guess, president CEO will be here at the second service and then meeting with all the Faith Bridge families and just having conversation. And so pl- please pray for that time. But we are very grateful uh, to be partnered with a ministry like Faith Bridge. And, uh, and so we are excited to partner with and to bless them this holiday season with part of our year-end offering. So, again, there will be uh, – so on December 18th, just so you know, December 18th, there will actually be – offering envelopes prepared for you to give. And all we're asking you to do right now is just pray, God, how would you have us give above and beyond, you know, tithes and offerings? God, how would you have me get involved and to the vision of vintage and the things that we're doing? And uh, that would be great. All right. Let's dive in this morning. Uh, We're in the second uh, Sunday of Advent. If you did not see it this week, uh, there's an Advent guide that was put into the vintage email that went off, a PDF version for you. Obviously, there are hard copies outside also. You can grab one of those on your way out. Uh, Advent calendar actually started, I guess it was on Thursday. So obviously, you can jump in at any time in the, in the holiday season. But second season, excuse me, second Sunday of Advent. And, and Randall this morning, she read... Uh, what's considered an Advent, an Advent scripture from Isaiah chapter 52. And I love uh, this scripture because it's a message of hope from Isaiah, where Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, is speaking about the moment when a Savior or a Redeemer would come and set Israel free. If you know anything about the writing of Isaiah, then you know that the Israelites, the people of God, in the moment of this writing are literally in captivity in Babylon. And that's really important because think about captivity. Think about a people who don't have freedoms. Think about a people who claim to be the people of God, yet they're in captivity and, and there is no hope. Think about these people in the moment. Literally, their home is, is literally in ruins, desolation, emptiness. And God speaks into the moment through this prophet saying, listen, there is one who is coming with Good news. And when the people hear it and when people see him, they will be filled with joy. They will dance together because the Lord is returning to those whom he loves. The watchmen, they literally, the watchmen are the prophets, the ones who, who see things before they happen. The prophets will see the Messiah coming, right? They will see the movement of the Redeemer and they will shout to everyone. Isaiah was a watchman on the wall. He was 
proclaiming, hope is coming. Lift up your eyes. Do not be caught in desolation. Like this is huge news to them. They're sitting there going, oh my gosh, there is hope again that God has heard our voice. That God has heard our cry. That God is not leaving us where we are. In the midst of our brokenness, He will return. He will move. He will come. Listen, they already knew the story of the Exodus, don't they? They remember Moses. They remember that when God's people were in captivity, held captive by a foreign people that God moved on their behalf and set them free. And so what they've already seen God do once in coming, they will, they are, they have lost hope that it will happen again, but Isaiah is proclaiming a hope. So they will hope again that he will come. Do you begin to see the nature then of Advent not being about focusing on the first coming of Jesus, but the Advent is about the second coming of Jesus. This beautiful picture here, right, of Isaiah saying, if he came in the Exodus to a broken people, then he will come again, so that's good news. And so we then look and say, then if he came to a people when Jesus did come as one proclaiming good news to those that were in need, those in exile, then he will come again. So this morning, then, a sentiment of, that defines for us the season of Advent is that we are a people in need. We are a people in a sense in our own exile. We are in a fallen world, right, riddled with sin. There is not complete freedom. Jesus has come, but not yet fully, right? We still live in sin-riddled bodies. We still live in a sin-riddled world. And so we look and look for with hope for a second coming of Jesus. And Advent is this season for us of, of recognizing he will come again. Therefore, it's a season of preparation. A season of preparation. They needed God to intervene. We need God to intervene. They longingly looked for and waited for a Messiah, a Redeemer, and a Savior. We longingly look for and wait for a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior, who will come again to set us free. In the words of Isaiah, so that all the ends of the earth would see the salvation of our God. You all know that there is nothing like the holiday season to take your mind off of Jesus and to make you feel guilty that it does because you know the reason for the season, right? Like you literally sit there in tension and in conflict with yourself of knowing, I should be focused on Jesus, but all I can think about is this gift over here and the tension of the gift I have to buy for my mom who's never satisfied with anything, right? Or I have to go to this family event over here. I'm going to lose my salvation probably and definitely lose my religion because I can't stand these people, right? And we live in the tension, and so Advent, listen, the early church, 3rd century, 4th century, 5th century, they felt the same tension. That's why they said, let's create this season of Advent where we return back to God. We return back to the reason for the season. We return back to looking less at the world today and looking more at Jesus and his return. Let's be a people who never forget that Jesus is returning. Go study the, the, the history of Advent. It's fascinating. 
All Advent means is the coming, the coming of one. Don't lose sight of, don't go, what is Advent? That just seems weird. We don't use that language anymore. It simply means the coming. I mean, like, the impending coming of one who will kick butt and take names. The impending coming of God, the creator, who looks into the brokenness of the exile in which we live, and who says, I know how to get you out. <laughs> Me. Right? Not in any pride, but in divine humility saying, I am the only one. And so the season of Advent, the church father said, then let's not forget that. Let's not forget. It's crazy to think the church actually had 40 days of penance, 40 days of fasting, 40 days of, of literally like, like, having intentional times of recognizing sin and repentance. And somewhere along the way, their church father said, 40 days is a really long time. Let's just turn it into 24 because that's a long time. We're like, okay, right? But it's still this whole point of taking this season leading up to Christmas and focusing on the second coming in this last two weeks is just, and then celebrating the first coming. The point for us this morning and the reason for Christmas is that Jesus came to a broken people, and he will come again. That should make you do the, oh, right? Remember in Lion King, they say, Mufasa, oh, and it just shakes. Remember that movie? It's like a great movie scene. I love that scene. Say it again. Say it again. Oh, right? It's like, it's like we say this Advent, the second coming of Jesus. He's coming back. He's coming again. Oh. In the context then for us of, of Advent is that there is a preparation for us. If someone's coming, if we know someone's coming, then there's a preparation. We do it for anything that's important in our lives, right? If someone's coming to your house, that's important. Your mom and dad are coming to the house. They haven't been there in one year, right? It's their one yearly jaunt from wherever they live to your house. What do you do? You spend as much time as it takes stressing out and cleaning and preparation so they will always think that your house looks this perfect and smells this clean, right? It's what you do. Or if you're about to get married, what do you do? You do pre-marriage counseling. Why? Because you don't want to be that couple who doesn't succeed. You don't want to be that couple who looks like complete idiots, who has no idea how to do marriage, right? If you're going to have babies, what do you do? You go to birthing classes because you want to birth right, I guess, right? If you're going to have a test tomorrow, what do you do? You cram tonight in utter preparation so you don't fail. If you are about to hire somebody, do you just go, ah, oh, you look pretty, Doug? Let me hire you, right? And Doug's like, woohoo, right? No, you do interviews in preparation so that you don't make a mistake and hire the wrong person. Up here this morning, Laura McNeil, she started painting. This is a beautiful tree representing the nature of the church and the nature of our lives, right? Did you see what she started on? She started with a blueprint. This blueprint, right? This blueprint of something, this preparation. True gardeners, man, when, like, when they're going to go and, and plant, they plant out their garden. 
They decide what's going to go where, what goes well with, with each thing, right? They are, they are prepared. If I'm going to go plant a tree somewhere and I want it to grow well, I put it somewhere where water's going to be because I want it to highlight everything, make sure it provides the best shade for the house and the best home for a, for a whatever bird that is in the birdhouse, right? It's like, where's a preparation? And so the idea then for us in, in Advent is that we say the second coming is about this because the second coming is, is imminent. So let's prepare ourselves. The history of Advent, it's a season of preparation. We know, listen, I don't prepare like I do for my parents as if they don't love me and i got to prove something to them. I don't have to prove anything to Jesus. He already knows my sins from yesterday, my failures of today, my successes of yesterday, my successes of today, my failures of tomorrow, my, and my successes of tomorrow. He loves me in the midst of all of it and says, you don't have to prove anything to me. You just prepare yourselves because that's what people who love each other do. They make sure, listen, when a soldier goes off to war, his spouse doesn't, or her spouse doesn't lay back and just go, let me eat a bunch of ice cream and bonbons and go find somebody else to love because they've gone off somewhere. Then they stay prepared. They sit there and they wait and they wait and they pray and they do what they want to, they, 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 they do what needs to be done to stay prepared for the returning of their spouse so that when they return, the house is in order, their life is in order, families in order. Not because they have to, but because they love their spouse. Preparation is a sign of our love for the one that we're preparing for. Advent season's about preparation, a reminder. To remember Jesus, that he alone is our hope. To never forget that he is coming again. It's a reminder to live life prepared as if he is returning tomorrow. This is the language we see Paul express in another Advent scripture from Romans chapter 13, 11 through 14. You can turn in your Bibles there if you want. Before we dive into it, Paul in Scripture again and again and again, is always pointing people towards the coming. Don't read it yet. Paul is always pointing people towards the coming of Jesus again and again and again and again in Scripture. He points his people, and we see it again. First Thessalonians, we see it, we see it in First Corinthians, we see it in Second Corinthians. He is always, always pointing people towards the coming of Jesus because if you know he is returning tomorrow, if you expect that he will return tomorrow, it will affect how you live today. So here we go. Verse 11, and do this, he says, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So in chapter 11 and 12, 
Paul challenges the Roman Christians to be intentional in their lifestyle as Christ followers. He, I'm not going to go back and read the entire thing, but just kind of highlights. He challenges them in 12.1 to, to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto the Lord. He says in, in, in much, much writing to stay away from immorality and he goes and names all these things people have given themselves to in Rome and he goes into great length like these are chunks of chapters by the way that's why I'm doing this right he says to love your neighbors as you love yourself and so in chapter 11 and chapter 12 Paul does this phenomenal job of saying guys it's important how you live your lifestyle must truly model Christ's likeness and the things that you do be a living sacrifice just as Jesus was. Abstain from immorality because it's going to literally keep you from relating. It's going to be a, a barrier between you and your relationship with the Father. And then be sure to love well, love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? He's just living, saying this is the lifestyle of Jesus. He's saying prepare yourself. But then he comes in in verse 11. And he makes this point and he places he finds this, 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 this place of, of humanity saying you have to live prepared and focus on the coming, but you can't because you're slumbering. Like when we talk about preparation in the third, fourth, and fifth century of Advent, because they understand, listen, they understand exactly what you understand. It is hard to live in this world and stay focused on Jesus. Like, Jesus has incredible compassion in that. He doesn't sit up there with his unrealistic notions of your perfection in your own strength and it being easy living in this world. Scripture's really clear. He was tempted in his flesh in every single way that you are, and he understands. But he's coming in this moment saying, listen, in this though, if you don't fight for it, if you don't fight against it, then you will find yourself slumbering. Like, I don't have to sit there and break that down, that word down the Greek, do I? Like, you, you totally get that in the context of the world in which we live. People, like, so just so you know, just press pause, like, I dream a lot and like i mean i dream literally every night and i've had several dreams that are specifically from jesus and all of my dreams i i, I see like the, the these spiritual dreams i've had there are these zombies walking around and don't get caught up like don't think like world war z or anything like that or walking dead i mean like and i because i mean and i hated zombies like, there's i hate movies about zombies I, that's why i don't watch the walking dead i think zombies are stupid i can't stand them they annoy the crap out of me sorry it's like they just really really do right I should have said that word but i apologize anyway so they just really do that's how i'm passionate i am about zombies and hating them but no so in this dream i had these zombies like god why are you giving me dreams about zombies and he said because that's the world in which we live, and unfortunately, it's the church. They are the walking dead. And I'm like, oh, they're the walking sleepers. And all of a sudden, I mean, from that, like, we're talking, I'm having my first zombie dream, like, and uh, and before I met Randall, 1960. I'm just kidding. No, I forget what year that was, right? It's like when I was when I was still in Athens, right? And and so, and I have it's just been this continual peace. And so I've, 
and I've had dreams literally where God's called, like literally I had one dream. I've chosen before, so I apologize. This is in my notes. But I had a dream when I was in college that just wrecked me. And in my dream, I was literally, I was in my own pajamas, which basically meant I had been my own, I had been sleeping. And now I'm actually being used by God to go and proclaim people to prepare themselves. And I'm literally going door to door in my onesie. I don't know what about, what's going on with that, right? Represent pajamas, I guess. I was running around my, my onesie calling people to wake up and like people wouldn't and something people but i had people following me and i felt like god was saying this is what your life will be you will be one who wakes people from a slumber and so when we get to advent i'm like yes this is my calling i mean jesus thank you and not thank you because it's hard like have you ever tried to wake somebody up who does not want to be woken up because they're literally enjoying sleeping it's hard. But Paul is coming in this moment saying, wake up. Wake up from your slumber. He's telling the Roman Christians, you're slumbering. You're in need of waking up because your salvation, the return of Jesus is near. They had to refocus. They had to prepare themselves. Just press pause. How many of you right now are going, yep, I'm, I think I'm slumbering? Like, no bull honky, right? You like literally know that you are slumbering. I say these words and you're like, I'm not really preparing for the second coming of Jesus. I'm not really aware with great passion that it might be tomorrow when he's returning, right? Verse 12 goes on and says, he starts talking off about being the ninth being nearly over and the day almost being here. Just put that on the screen, Sandy. Verse 12, just whatever one that is, right? Starts talking about ninth being nearly over. And day being almost here. Paul is alluding to this world versus the world to come, right? He's talking about this, this world in which we live versus the primary world we will spend eternity in, right? And he's saying into the moment, you can't just focus on being here, but you have to focus on being here on light of tomorrow when Jesus will return, right? You focus here with the reality of eternity in heaven coloring everything you see in the temporal. The eternal colors the temporal. The eternal colors the temporal. He's saying everything you look at here has to be colored. Isaiah says, guys, you're still in captivity, but the reality of someone coming with good news, oh my gosh, it has to fill you and flood you and awaken you to hope that's coming. I know you're still in chains figuratively, right? But I also recognize one is coming who will set you free, and that is your greatest reality. Literally, sitting in exile and in captivity, he's saying your greatest reality that should define your temporal moment is that you're not in chains. Isn't that a paradox? Freedom defines you when you don't feel like you are. That's the hope we have in Advent. That's the preparation. I have this eternal view that affects the temporal. That's why I cannot get lost in consumerism. It's why I cannot bow down in the Christmas season to the stress and the tension. It's why I have to fight to see Jesus and see his second coming. And, and hear this. In some ways, give me grace in this in advance, the second coming is more important than his first coming right now. Right? Like literally, 
another uh, scripture, Isaiah says, forget the former things. Guys, don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Do you know what exactly he's talking about? He's talking exactly about the Exodus. Forget the former things of the Literally, go read it for yourself. Motyer, the greatest Isaiah theologian ever, literally spent like 60 years of his life just studying Isaiah. He, I read this in his stuff years ago. I was like, oh, my gosh. Right? He said he's talking, about this, he's talking about the Exodus. He's saying forget that. Something better is coming. Listen, do you realize the second coming of Jesus, when he comes in his fullness and his glory, will exceed his first coming? And we look and hope for it. It's why we're not lost, depressed, and hopeless today. Why? Because in our exile we have freedom because we know he's coming again. That's verse 12 through 13. We focus on the here and now in light of eternity. So Isaiah paints the picture of excitement for the Israelites refocusing on and preparing for the coming of the Savior. Then Paul urges Christians to do the same thing every day of their life. And Advent has been designed to help you wake up and realize, Jesus, second coming, he's returning. I I I want to live my life in preparation because I, I love him and he loves me. I want to respond that he is coming again. So I want to live my life today with not an immorality, as Romans says, right? I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to, what does it say? I don't want to live my life in the, in this context of, of, um, the pieces that I read in that immorality. I want to live my life every day loving God and loving my neighbor. I just want to live my context of my life in that, right? And I don't want to, and I want to live my life as a living sacrifice, Romans 11, 12, right? I want to live my life every day, oh, living sacrifice for Jesus. So a few things to remember from all of this. Number one, Jesus came, he will come again. Jesus came, he will come again. That fills us with hope. He doesn't just come in a second coming, but he comes even now in the moments of our need because the Holy Spirit's not with us, like we said, like last week. He is in us. God, Emmanuel, God with us, God in us to the work of the Holy Spirit, right? We live in celebration that God is moving. The basis of the first coming. The basis of the first coming of Jesus was God's people in need crying out for God to intervene, and they anticipated and expected that he would, and then God faithfully moved. If that's what he did before when people were in exile and need, then that's why he will come again. If he does it over here, he is always true to himself, so he will come again. If Jesus came, excuse me, if God moved in the Exodus and brought Moses the Redeemer, and then they looked to that as anticipation that he would move again when they're in exile in Babylon, then we can look and say when God moved in both of those, then we know he will come again to set us free, to move in power, to redeem us, to pull us out from exile. This is the point of Advent, the church looking back at these things and living in celebration. If he did it once, then he will do it again. Number two, we must wake up and be prepared. Remember Paul said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead so that Christ will shine on you. Wake up, O sleeper. Whose responsibility? He tells them to wake up and then God will move. 
There's a responsibility we have in the context of our relationship to that God will arouse, but we then have to choose to stand. We have to choose to move. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise and Christ will shine. We must wake up. We must be prepared. Advent, the season of Jesus' coming, of focusing on his first coming and second coming, it sets the tone for us that he will come again. Through the scripture passages read, spiritual practices observed, Christians are called to continually reorient themselves to a mindset of watching excitedly with anticipation and waiting for Christ's return. Paul's challenge to the church is to shift their inward focus to Jesus and reorient their entire life to Christ's likeness. I'm going to say that again because that went right over your heads. Paul's challenge to the church. Shift your inward focus. Not hopelessness, not despair, not the exile in which you live, not the chains which you see fit spiritually for us, right, or mentally or emotionally, but focus on the fact that you've been redeemed, you've been set free, right? And then he goes on to say, and I'm going to say, and reorient our outward life, everything that we do to Christ-likeness. We are modeling this life of loving neighbor, loving, loving God, loving neighbor, this orientation, right, of walking, renouncing sin in our lives. Why? Because when you love someone, you live a life that is faithful to them. Number three. Advent is about love and loyalty. That's the point. It's not duty, right? You're not going to focus on the second coming of Jesus. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, yeah, I feel so guilty for how bad I am. So I'm going to change all that so God will like me again. No, I, Advent is about his love for us, and our reorientation is about our love for him, right? He is loyal to us, so we reorient ourselves to loyalty to him. You see that? Love and loyalty are simply a response we've already experienced from him. I mean, guys, you get it. Wives, your husband walks in, and he tells you, he loves you, he walks up and non-sexually touches you, right? And he kisses you on the side of the cheek to show this intimacy or on the lips and then looks at you in the eyes and you respond to him by saying, I hate you, right? No, you like, oh. It's like you, you reorient yourself because of what they've expressed. That's what we look at here. This nature of Advent is about ah, Jesus is the, comes with good news, right? It produces great joy of gladness. For all the nations, it means that for me. If he's done it twice, then he will do it again. He is loyal to me. He is loving to me, and I will respond in like manner. Have you ever heard of the story of the Japanese dog Hachiko? You ever heard that story? Oh. Richard Gere was in a movie about Hachiko. Hachiko is a he is he is known Japanese wide. Hachiko is a dog. There are literal statues built. We're going to call him Hachi. That's what his friends called him, right? There are statues, literally today, memorials. You can look online right now, 
don't do it right now, right? Because you can look right now if you wanted to and see statues of Hachi with his floppy ear. You can look at it yourself, right? There have been two movies made about Hachi. story of Hachi goes like this. 1923, there was a professor in Japan who wanted a dog. So he went and found a dog. He named him Hachiko, called him Hachi. And every day in the morning, they would get up and they would walk to the train station. Hachi would go with them. His master would get on the bus. He was on the the train. In the train, he'd watch him and he'd walk back to the house. Every day at the exact same time, Hachi would leave the house, come back to the train station, and be sitting there waiting for his master to get off for two years, every day. How did Hachi know that that was the train? Who knows, right? I'm surprised when a story about a cat. I'm just kidding, right? Imagine, like, a cat doing that. Whatever, right? Dogs do these things. Cats don't. And so one day, one day, Hachi's standing there. Train comes, doors open, master never comes. Hachi, what Hachi didn't know as a dog was that his master had a brain hemorrhage that day while teaching class and had died. And so Hachi stood there and waited and waited. Family members finally heard, heard about this. They went and brought Hachi, brought him back to the house, and gave him to a gardener who lived on the grounds. Every day, every morning, Hachi would wake up and he would walk to the train station train would leave. He'd come back every day at the exact same time in the afternoon. Hachi would get up from his house, walk to the train station, and just sit there in hopes that today was the day his master returned. Hachi did this every day for 10 years before he died. Every day in anticipation and expectation of the return of his loyal master, He would literally get up and go to the train station, return, and then go back to the train station every single day. He lived his daily life. He ate. He drank. He enjoyed the town. But when the time came, he knew loyalty and my love for my master trumps everything. I must go and sit and wait. And you know what dogs do when they're waiting for their master. Someone walks towards them and they do this, don't they? Nothing gets in the way of their focus of their master. This is a story that reminds me of Advent. Everything we've talked about finds itself in the story of Hachi. It's not a perfect analogy. No analogy ever is. But in this, nothing gets in the way for ten years with no hope just an anticipation, an expectation that he would get off. And every day he would go until he died. See, this is the season of Advent for you. It's the Advent season for me. Am I in a slumber? Am I more aware of the eternal than I am the temporal? Does the eternal color everything that I do and make me do this with Jesus? Nothing can get in the way of the focus of looking right at the train where our master may be getting off. Because when he gets off, Hachi would just stand there and just watch him walk by. He would have run with all of his might to get to him. Where are we in Advent? This is the season. This is why we have it, because the church recognized third, fourth, fifth century. 
we're zombies. They wouldn't have used those words. They didn't have it back then, but they would use it today. We are the walking dead. We are the walking slumbering. We are completely disconnected. We are unaware. We are not. We are literally bound, and we're not living in hope. We're literally looking at those three things that Paul would have named about immorality and loving our neighbor, right, and living sacrifices. We're not doing those things well. This is a season of preparation, a season of slumbering, but waking up, right? We go, oh, God, we spend a whole long time, like days and days and days, of repentance and telling God how sorry we are. No, we repent in the moment and then we celebrate that he's coming again. Where is our repentance? What is repentance? What does that mean, Steve? It means we recognize we're slumbering and we go, God, sorry, and we wake up to his reality. Because the truth is this, whenever we wake up, God never went anywhere. He's just standing there waiting for us to get up. Because you can't wait to shine on us. This is your season of preparation because of his love for you and his loyalty to you, his anticipation and expectation of desire to be with you. This is a season, not a celebrating. Listen, this is not a, this is not a season to celebrate Santa Claus. Do that. That's fun. This isn't a season to, to even focus on your children. It's not to, set, to celebrate. It's a season to focus on Jesus and to help your children turn to him also. And then all of a sudden, the real meaning of Christmas breaks in. And you don't get to the end of Christmas feeling like it just wasn't complete and full. You don't. You get to the end of Christmas going, that was the most full Christmas season I've ever experienced in my entire life. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We pray that you would help us to love you even better. We thank you, Jesus, for your grace. And we just simply ask this morning, Lord, that you would truly awaken us to the fullness of what you have for us. We thank you for Advent. Holy Spirit, awaken us. The heart of why you led the early church fathers to create this season. Friends, in Jesus' name. This morning, I invite you to respond. Your response and is, is, can be multifaceted, honestly. And one level is saying, Jesus, just I pray that you would help me to awaken from my slumber. Two, God, would you awaken, yeah, God, I got to awaken this heart of preparation, Jesus. It's preparation. Prepare me, Lord. And for many of us this morning, it may simply mean really reawakening to who Jesus is, what it means to know him, to walk with him. I would encourage you, if you want somewhere to go this morning, just to go read Psalm 25. For God's had me for several weeks now, I just invite you to come join me in it. Just talking about God's faithfulness and God's movement and God's love for us. This morning, we don't have to have anything super dramatic or anything. It's an invitation for you to simply slow down and interact.
interact with Jesus. Offering baskets are always available. You just give as the Lord leads. Communion's available here. We invite you to come and partake. And ministry teams are on both sides because they just want to pray for you about anything going on in your life that you would like someone to pray for you. Healing, let them pray for you. Brokenness, they'd like to pray for you in that, right? Questions, they would love to pray for a wisdom. If they just want more of Jesus, they'd love to pray for more of Jesus. All right, you guys respond as the Lord leads. You have a great week. song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring